0: Leah Derris is an MIT Sloan MBA who writes story-based resumes. Are you confused? Well, she makes dream colleges a reality for several people who aspire to get an MBA degree from the best business schools in the world. She helps candidates to rewrite their entire life stories and brings out the best in them for the world to see. Listen to this episode for tips on how to get into your dream company, how to make your resume look better, how to interview better at your dream B school or even whether you want to do an MBA or not. So here is Leah Darris, the founder of Resume Story Builders and FX MBA Consulting. Hi, I'm Julian, and this is the WLB Podcast. So, welcome everyone to another episode of our podcast. And I'm super happy to have Leah with us. Yes, thank you for having me.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Thank you.
0: So, let's just begin with an introduction to our listeners so that they know where and how the journey, uh, how, how you've come to a part where you've started uh, two businesses we could mm-hmm. just walk through your journey like what led you to start that uh, like i know there is a need for this definitely i've read your articles and there is so much out there that you've put up with in, on your
1: website itself which is super
0: helpful to anybody sure.
1: so sure i can i can talk very briefly a little bit about what led me to, to do what i'm that. currently doing yeah okay yeah. um so i started out uh, kind of my journey with uh, my undergraduate degree in psychology. I worked a little bit in management consulting in Europe for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember meeting my first boss in management consulting and he said, you should do an MBA. And I thought, oh, well, if he tells me I should do an MBA, then I guess I should. (laughs) So I ended up applying to MBA programs in the US and attending uh, MIT Sloan for two years and doing my degree there. Mm-hmm. And during those two years, I really got introduced to entrepreneurship. Uh, MIT has a strong kind of group of people that are interested in entrepreneurship and a lot mm-hmm. of things at the school that facilitate it. So um, I was involved in something they called 100K competition and took mm-hmm. second place with my team. Wow. And yeah, that was exciting. And then ended up kind of knowing that I wanted to start a company and experimenting with a couple of different uh, business models, Mm -hmm. including like a flower company and um, kind of a marketing type company and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But I really fell into my first uh, company, FXMB Consulting, because um, it's basically MBA admissions consulting. So it was something that I could do. Mm-hmm. There was no entry cost, right? Because it's a consulting service. It's just a function of my knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I put together a website and um, started marketing my services. Mm-hmm. And wow. one great thing about a company like that, if you're thinking about getting involved in a doing your own startup, if you can do consulting, um, in the interim to kind of uh, support yourself and pay the rent and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. it's a great option because you don't have any uh, initial upfront cost, right? Yeah. You don't have to hire anybody. Maybe you just put together a website, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of how I got into that. Also, it was something that I really loved Mm -hmm. doing and that I still do today. And then out of that, out of helping people kind of write resumes and write essays and their stories mm-hmm. to get into places like MIT Sloan and Harvard Business School um, came my second company, which is Resume Story Builders. And that's helping professionals um, write really great resumes and tell their story in a compelling way and kind of land jobs that they thought maybe were beyond their reach. Dream. So, yes. Um, and so as far as the, that's a little bit the nuts and bolts of it. What I would say about myself is that probably um, I knew at a kind of young age, maybe that I, I didn't work well. um, I didn't work well in big teams. Oh, (laughs) that's, that's bad. Right. I, I wasn't, yeah, it is bad, but you know what? It was true about me. I, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't enjoy working in um, big teams of people. I didn't really, um, it just didn't work for me. And so in a sense, I was compelled to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was the best option given my preferences,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Mm-hmm. Got it. And that's kind of something we don't talk about um, very much because there's so much emphasis on like, teamwork, and you should um, get along with everybody, and you should love (laughs) working with a cross-functional group of people, (laughs) right? But I didn't love those things. (laughs) Mm. So I realized that even if I could perform um, my technical skills well in a very diverse environment, like a big corporation Mm -hmm. type Mm -hmm. scenario, I wasn't going to be happy kind of socially. and maybe that's the case for some of the people listening to this podcast maybe it's something you haven't asked yourself or thought about but why do i feel drawn to entrepreneurship maybe it's because okay. i don't want to deal with people on an egalitarian level
0: mm-hmm.
1: i want to be the boss <laughs> right?
0: so yeah that's amazing that's a nice story uh, i think yeah. uh, that's uh, so that, that happens. Like if you are a fish in a very large ocean, your voice tends to be not heard at all and your ideas might not actually surface to the top. Right. Um, I think that's well, a, with
1: a lot of peace. Yeah. I mean, that's normal to feel at the beginning of your career. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm talking about is kind of a little bit of a deeper personality trait, right? Mm-hmm. But I think you're making an interesting comment, which is that... Yes, sometimes your voice isn't heard at the beginning of your career. And so one tip um, that I have for young people coming out of a master's degree or coming out of your undergraduate degree is that never take a job working for someone who you think is less smart or less competent than you, Mm. even if it's at a company where you think the name brand is great and you think the title is going to be great because you will never become an A player working for a B player. So if you sense that that person isn't willing to hear your ideas or listen to you or sort of encourage you and nurture you, Mm -hmm. walk away from that boss or never take the job to begin with. When when you're interviewing for jobs, um, you should be interviewing your future boss as well. Don't let it just be kind of a one directional process. It goes both ways, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: So what was uh, your dream school? Like was MIT Sloan your
1: dream and you conquered that or were there other options? Well, my the boss that I was telling you about, he said, um, you're going to go and do an MBA and you're going to go to MIT because he had gone to Boston University. So MIT was his dream. So, but again, I was like very naive. So I said, okay, you know, I'm going to apply to MIT. The other school I applied to was Stanford. Um, And uh, I didn't get into Stanford, I think, because I messed up my essay. I I didn't do a very good job. Yeah. So, but MIT and Stanford are very similar in a lot of ways. They're both very small programs with a focus on entrepreneurship and innovation um, and, and so, either option was great, and MIT was a great option for me. So mm-hmm. that's beautiful.
0: I, I think it's a dream for a lot of people, and uh, you have made uh, like I think a lot of a lot of your uh, customers or clients yes. call them they have reached uh, their goals and their dreams. How is that journey? Like, how is that process with any customer?
1: Well, the yeah the. The trick to getting into an a top MBA program is twofold. So on the one hand, you have to have um, some material to work with, right? Mm-hmm. Like there has to be a certain uh, person has to have good grades, get a good GMAT, you know, have a have a interesting job in some mm-hmm. respect. But then within that, it's all about how you tell your story your personal story and your professional story to the admissions committee. And I've seen cases. I worked with a boy um, who, prior to working with me, he had applied to like MIT and a bunch of other schools, including Harvard, and got no interviews, okay? And um, then we worked together. And he went on to get an admit to the LGO program at MIT, which is kind of like an MBA program. Mm -hmm. And he also got into Harvard. And he ended up going to Harvard. And this guy, and on, do you know what I mean? Like it was just a question of like telling his story differently, writing his resume differently, and mm-hmm. that made all the difference. So um, the trick to getting into these programs is about storytelling. But uh, mm-hmm. I think one question that your audience might be having in their mind is, is it a, I mean, is it a good idea to to attend the program, mm-hmm. set aside whatever school you get into, right? Mm-hmm. The question of is an MBA a good next step for me if I'd like to pursue entrepreneurship?
0: Yeah. So I think a lot of us do have that in our minds uh, mm-hmm. because people feel there is no way to uh, get a promotion within your company. So I would just take a break of two years and do an MBA and then maybe go ahead and then get a job, uh, the one that I'm looking for. So I think, uh, like, what, what's your take on this? Like, should uh, aspiring entrepreneurs definitely go for an MBA?
1: Did that help you? Well, if the person's um, plan is to get a job, I mean, if your plan is that you want to do entrepreneurship, really, Mm -hmm. and you feel this uh, really burning desire, and I think it honestly has something to do with something about your personality, maybe you're a little bit like me. Mm -hmm. Um, Then all the knowledge that you get in an MBA program is basically available online, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can, Google, uh, the, you can Google the courses at MIT Sloan, including electives and see the course catalog. And then you can see the syllabus. I mm-hmm. often Google like uh, the course name, PDF and syllabus to I find the syllabus. It. And then you can see like, well, what book are they, they reading? And what are they doing each week? I can buy the book on Amazon for 10 euros or whatever, and I can work through that material. If you need to learn about um, business analysis and valuation, if you need to learn accounting, uh, whatever, corporate strategy, that sort of thing. If, you, if there's something specific you want to know, you can just um, go and pursue that knowledge yourself. So what is an MBA getting you? as an entrepreneur, as somebody who wants to start their own company, an entrepreneur, uh, an MBA is only putting you in debt, basically. I mean, (laughs) lots of student loans, right? There's, unless you come from a wealthy family, and some people do a lot of people that attend these programs come from very wealthy families. If you have family money, and your parents can afford the program and all that stuff, then I would highly recommend the program, but if you're not coming from a wealthy family, why would you take on this huge student dent? Because all that does is make you commit to working for usually really large companies Mm -hmm. that can support your, if you're working in the US, support your visa and pay you the big money. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a prison sentence. Mm-hmm. because now you're in $150,000 worth of debt. Okay. But and what about the just... network? I'm sorry to cut you, but what about the well, network? yeah, that's something people talk about a lot. I, I would say that going to, a, going to a top MBA program opens doors in the sense that, for example, if you call up, um, a venture capital, or you email a venture capital firm or whatever, mm-hmm. um, and you say, you know, I'm so-and-so and I, you know, I'm a Harvard Business School graduate or whatever, that might make them more amenable to mm-hmm. looking at your document or chatting with you than if there's, there's not that cachet there, okay? Mm-hmm. But that's when you need to go to, you know, Sequoia Capital for millions of dollars in, in funding, right? um let's take a step back because um, if if you are doing a startup
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you're serious about it then the thing to do probably is to get things going mm-hmm. okay and then align yourself with somebody who you bring in as a co-founder or as a business partner who has that MBA credential mm-hmm. they can open life. that door. Do you know what I mean? Like, why do you have to be able to do everything yourself? Yeah. If you, if you want to do the hands-on stuff of getting the company started and you want to yeah. be at the helm of this company, you can totally do that. Mm-hmm. Um, just jumping in and then bringing in resources as you need them, even if it's people with connections. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. As far as the network goes of students, I would say this. Most people who do an MBA are what I think of as square people. They're square, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they have square little corners. They're, and there's nothing wrong with that, but generally they're people who um, want, they want to go to the best school. They want to get the best grades. They want to work for the best name brand company. Do you know what I mean? Like they want all this, stuff yeah but like I said uh they they are not people who are huge change makers in the world okay Mm -hmm. they're more people that are towing the middle line so as an entrepreneur what use are these people going to be to you Mm. they are the people senior executive of marketing at nestle blah, 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 blah. Do you know what I mean? Like just what is the, what are the odds that in your class, there is, you make a friend who -hmm. happens to be so pivotal and key and important and that that friendship happens to be the one thing that unlocks some sort of business relationship between your startup and this person Mm -hmm. and the company they represent. What are the odds of that? It's very low. Mm -hmm. If you have a compelling, business idea and company and whatever, and you go to somebody and have a genuine pitch, a genuine value proposition, mm-hmm. even if you're not from the same school or you don't have friends in common,
0: mm-hmm.
1: generally the person will at least listen to you. Do you yeah. know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So I why do
1: you think you need to be friends with them? It doesn't make any sense. I get it. But that's that's the logic, isn't it? So for people that want to go on that real traditional corporate path, that is what an MBA is for. Mm, you guess. want to go and work in marketing at Nestle, right? Mm. And then you want to move up to the vice president of marketing for all of Europe, okay? Then you want to move up again, maybe you're going to become the CMO eventually. Mm. That's, that's generally the path. Mm. So you, it, it depends. Well, I would say that if you're very serious about entrepreneurship, you're mm. further ahead just doing some courses online or buying books, mm. get the knowledge and go. Got it. It's fail fast, fast and then- Well, you is- don't even think about it. Why are you going to fail? You're not going to fail. <laughs> you don't need, what do you need the MBA for?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The MBA is for people who are not disciplined for people who want to be entrepreneurs who are not disciplined. Because if you're not disciplined, then you need somebody standing over you saying, okay, Leah, now we're going to do chapter four. Now it's chapter five, it's a new week. Come on, read the book. But if you're truly disciplined and passionate about what you're doing, you can just buy the book and read it and have the knowledge and, and move forward and
0: that's a very smart move
1: like i've done that
0: for a lot of colleges where i just go ahead and download the curriculum and be self-taught
1: that's a very well smart move. you don't necessarily need to go to college either i guess <laughs> i mean college i think is a little bit less expensive right an mba is a huge debt and i just think that for an entrepreneur it doesn't make sense If you're on the fence about entrepreneurship though, or maybe you think, well, maybe I'd like to work for a startup for a couple of years, I'm not really sure. You could do that now, Mm -hmm. or you could do an MBA and then transition into a startup for a couple of years and then go on to do a more corporate job afterwards. That's totally Mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is that um, the question you initially asked was, um, does, the person can't get another job right Mm -hmm. or they have to do an mba or they're stuck in their job yeah right why but why are they stuck in that job is my question
0: Hmm.
1: they chose the wrong company in the first place well yes (laughs) Just, yes, but we choose wrong things. We choose wrong things all the time. We choose wrong boyfriends and whatever. It doesn't mean we can't get another boyfriend, right? So you have an experience at that company. I would say to you, the MBA, what is the MBA going to do? It's going to give you a new story to tell in your resume, right? Like you're going to add it to your resume. You're going to talk about it in an interview. If instead you think, how can I, tell the story of what I'm currently doing in a little bit different way so that it appeals more. Mm. You can transition, you know what I mean? Like maybe your problem mm-hmm. is just that you're framing your current work negatively in your head because you don't mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of coming through on paper when you're applying to jobs and, and when you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. So How can you frame it in a way that makes it exciting, that makes people mm-hmm. think, I really want to work with so so Sarah or whatever, do you know what I mean? So do you think maybe adding
0: a lot of co-curricular activities to your resume, like if you volunteer at different places or you know do some things on the side uh, or a weekend project, do you think
1: that will help change the resume? That's a good point, yes. And I always say to people, a, a job is not necessarily something you get paid to do. Right? people always think of what I should put in my professional experience section of my resume is the job I'm paid for. Mm. But you can do a, so on the one hand, you can do a lot of things. A, in your company, I always say, go and talk with managers who are outside of your group or your team and say, you know what, I would really love to know more about what you do, or could I help Mm -hmm. you with this project, right? Mm -hmm. You can then add a whole section in your under your current employer about that thing. Maybe you're in finance, but you really want to be in marketing. Go talk to the marketing group. Can they do they need some research done? Could you analyze some numbers for them? Do you know what I mean? Like so that you can start building out an alternate narrative in your resume mm. with with that volunteer work that you're doing at work. Also you can reach out to startups mm. and just say, hey, I'm Leah. I'm really good at whatever can I do some of that for you? Or can I do anything for you? And then you can add that startup to your resume. Mm-hmm. You don't have to write, I did this for free. <laughs> so it looks like it's a part-time position or something like that that you're engaged with. Mm-hmm. And the same thing to your point about volunteering. Yes, you can reach out to nonprofits and, and a religious organization or whatever mm-hmm. and ask to run an event asked to do something in the back end, whatever, whatever the thing is that you're interested in getting into, whether it's a functional role, like you're interested in getting into marketing or HR or accounting or product management or blah, 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 mm-hmm. or whether it's a sector, I really wanna work in FinTech.
0: Mm-hmm. Go
1: find a FinTech startup, go talk with uh, the UNIS Foundation, right? In, and seek, do they have any volunteer opportunities? then you can put Eunice Foundation on your resume, right? Mm -hmm. I will tell you something. I worked, I had a client, she works Mm -hmm. at KPMG in the US. She's an Indian lady from Mm -hmm. India originally. And she's one of the most senior people um, in their HR consulting space, okay? And what the HR consulting space uh, does at KPMG basically is they give companies advice on salaries Mm -hmm. what should you be paying what Mm -hmm. sort of employee compensation should you be giving so she Mm -hmm. has seen literally millions of people's salaries Mm -hmm. and the and she knows the demographic data what job do they have their name their gender all that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you know what she said to me this it was so amazing she said the number one reason why men make 20% more than women is because, and she's seen the numbers, they go and ask for more money more frequently than women. She said women will ask like one time a year at their annual review. Okay. Mm -hmm. She said, we see the men going every quarter to their boss. Okay. Can I, can I get a raise? He already told you no, like three months ago, but the guy is back. And after a while, it just, you're just like, I don't even want to hear him ask me for a raise again. You just give him a raise to get him out of your office. Right. Mm -hmm. And over time, we know how compound interest, compounding numbers works. Right. Yeah. And so you get 5% more this year Mm -hmm. and then you've got an additional 7% more the following year, and it compounds over time to, mm. to the point where you're making 20 or 30% more than your female colleagues. Let's go back to the point, the question that you're asking. Uh, what if he says no? Consider that he will say no. You need to, yeah, you've yeah. got to go back. You've mm. got to be like a dog with a bone. <laughs> Till you get it, Yeah. Saying no one time is nothing, mm. nothing that is put it in your mind. The first step is the person will tell you, no, that's mm. already what's going to happen. Just count on that. You're going to keep going back to him. I remember one time I hired a girl who I didn't even like, I really, I didn't like her. I interviewed her. I said, I don't like this candidate at all. And she kept showing up at my office. She would. Be like I was just in the neighborhood and I just wanted to say hi and stuff like that after a while I started to really like her but she wasn't more qualified than the other candidates mm-hmm. you know so just figure that the person might say no or will say no and that you're going to keep sending those little emails yeah. keep, if he says no try somebody else try somebody more junior mm-hmm. somebody more junior has a lot of work on their plate maybe they want to give you something Forget about that company altogether. Go reach out to a startup. They, what do the startups have? I Lots of ideas, lots of work and no money, right? <laughs> they love people who do free work. Believe me, yeah. going to a startup is a lot easier than probably trying to do something internally, but both mm. things can work. Mm. That's, that's a very strong point.
0: I love yeah. that. Uh, could you walk me through a process of your writing? Uh, like, I think you have you have figured out a way with words that just changes right. the I entire uh, perspective.
1: Yes, does- are, are, you, are you talking about kind of the resumes and stuff like that? Yes, or- yes. Okay, so let me tell you um, just briefly a little bit about a story-based resume and kind of why that came into, mm-hmm. into being. Okay, what most people put in their resumes, right, is usually, usually when somebody sends me a resume, it's like the job title, the employer. And then usually the bullet points are like um, job description bullet points, Mm -hmm. right? Where it says, um, helps CMO put together marketing campaigns on a regular basis, oversees junior associates in their day-to-day work. And then maybe they put a few achievements like, uh, reduce costs by
0: 10%
1: okay got a start award <laughs> right but, but mainly but mainly most of the resumes I see are, are all like this and probably a lot of your listeners resumes kind of read like that as well sometimes people go online they copy and paste their own job description into their own resume and then they send it out into the world okay mm-hmm. but what is the what is the effect of that? every person who has your job can do exactly the same thing. They can copy and paste exactly, pretty much the same job description, right? So as the hiring manager, as I'm re- as I'm getting like 100 resumes for one job and I have the opportunity to interview 10 candidates because I don't have time to interview 100 people, okay? And I look at every resume and, the description is pretty much the same for all these people. Now, what can I do? How can I decide who are my 10, 10, 10 best people that I'm going to pick to start with to interview?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What do you think I should look at on the resume now?
0: Years of experience.
1: They have the same years of experience. They're, they're similar. They have the same job description, same years of experience, same roles. They're, they're all like four years out of college. Um, in IT, <laughs> and so what should I look at now? You Shorter the resume, pick randomly. No, I I want to pick ten good people because I have to choose one from ten, not one from hundred. Mm-hmm. So, so what I'm going to look at is the brands. Mm. Oh, that's all I can look at, right? There's there's nothing else to look at. All I can say is, oh, this one works at IBM, and this one works at. Acme Inc. Mm, IBM's a brand I know really well. And mm-hmm. Okay, so this person, yes. Or I say, oh, this person went to IIT and this person went to uh, Lady Ram College. Okay. Uh, IIT is better than Lady Ram for, for uh, c- computer science. Okay. I'm going to pick the IIT person. So, does that make sense to you? That that's how yes. it happens. So then people say, well, you have to go to a really good college to get a good job, mm. or you have to work at a really good company to get another good job. Why? Because your bullet points are just terrible, You right? You only stand out for the brand. Yeah, of course, that makes sense. But now let's say that we do bullet points that are not job description bullet points. They're The bullet points highlight the things that that an employer or a hiring manager might otherwise find out in interview. Mm. So You could have bullet points that are stories about stepping outside of your defined role. You could have stories about mentoring somebody. You could have stories about being mentored. You could have a story about um, spearheading a new idea. Mm -hmm. You could have a story about failing a story about failing. Yes, because as the hiring manager, I would love to see how you f- fail and how you handle it. Mm-hmm. If you can give me that insight on paper, and there's a lot of other different types of uh, story based bullet points that you could do, those are just a few. But if you can already give that to me on paper, now, I say, well, she went to Sri Ram or Lady Sri Ram College and she works at Acme Inc, but she's very interesting. She's got interesting ideas. Mm -hmm. She's very, um, she has good social skills. She -hmm. works well in teams. This isn't Leah's resume, this is somebody else's. Um, And I, I have 10 spots. Let me interview this person. She sounds interesting. So that is how, I mean, that is essentially the essence of kind of why one would want to have a story-based resume. Should we should we read one or two bullet points maybe? Definitely. Would that make sense? Yes, yes. Um, we- this is a client resume. This is the typical resume that I'm talking about that um, people often have. Hmm. Um, this person works in insurance mm-hmm. and they handle claims. So when you something bad happens, you get in a car accident, you call them up and you you say, you know, I need help, I need money, whatever. Settle my claim. Here's Here's her bullet point about her job. It just says, handles complex commercial line claims for property and business damage, develops and maintains strong business relationships by regularly communicating with customers, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's what this woman is supposed to do at work. It's the description of her job and it's what she gets paid for, but it's also what every other claim specialist in the world does. Furthermore, she evaluates claim facts and negotiates strategies to resolve them, okay, and she also trains people. So now let's go away from that and look at the new entry for Zurich. First of all, the old entry, um, with it here? What do we see about Zurich? First of all, we see that um, instead of breaking down the the bullet points by job, see previously she had a different bullet point for each role that she had at Zurich, claim specialist one, two, claim rep, yeah. Here we have just the bullet points all mixed together and the two jobs are highlighted here at the top next to each other, okay? Furthermore, we have a story already at this level because we've broken down the bullet points into two categories, Mm -hmm. analysis and communication, which are the two core um, skills that she needs in the job that she wants to go for Mm -hmm. uh, of promotion at Zurich. Let's look at one of these bullet points. You've also added
0: a summary at the very top. I think that's a summary of the entire duration.
1: Yeah, this is what I call a cornerstone story. Mm -hmm. Earlier, she had a summary that a lot of people tend to have that was just total bullshit. (laughs) Here she says something that I am an outgoing and dedicated professional with the personal motivation for success in any venture. And then she lists what her professional experience involves. Mm -hmm. And then she puts a bunch of keywords. Mm. I am ready for new challenges in the professional realm. I mean, nobody's going to read this and Mm. remember it. It's just very generic. All right. Here we've... Here instead we have cornerstone stories. These are stories that have to do with um, either describing the employer, why you took the job, um, Mm -hmm. about maybe having promotions in the job or what you might've learned from a particular job or role. Mm -hmm. So here it says that she was promoted to claim specialist in just 12 months rather than three years. That's already a big achievement yeah that we wouldn't have known about otherwise if she didn't write it she Mm -hmm. says a true team player i prioritize collective goals over personal ones that's a little bit more specific Mm -hmm. than just mm -hmm. and then she says among 25 percent of salaried claim specialists to volunteer on weekends during catastrophe season so she doesn't just say, I'm a true team player who prioritizes collective goals over individual ones. Mm-hmm. She then gives an example exactly. of it. Wow, well, yeah. Right? And that is so important because nobody is going to believe this This basically bullshit claim here. Mm-hmm. It turns into not bullshit when we have an actual proof, oh. example, but otherwise it just doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Okay? Got it. In um, in other instance of a cornerstone story at another employer, she says that um, a positive attitude attitude is irresistible. As a policy holder at this company, she was a customer first, mm-hmm. top-notch customer service and staff were so outstanding that I wanted to join them. I applied and was quickly hired. My individ- individual closing ratio results were in the top five percent of all employees promoted ahead of schedule. So here she's telling the story of how she came to this company, why she wanted to join it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you might think, well, how you know is that how is that relevant? Well, as the hiring manager, I want to hire people who have passion. Hmm. And this shows passion for this company. And if she has passion for this company, maybe she will have passion for my company and my team and my priorities, right? Got it, yes. Um, so and- I think uh, just a quick
0: uh, intervening question. The reason why her earlier resume had all of those keywords is because people have this assumption that HRs look for keywords. So when it, when it is breaking it down into a story, do I just mm-hmm. read the entire story? They say they look at us, look at a resume only for six seconds.
1: Well, that's because you wouldn't want to read this resume for more than six seconds. <laughs> Would you? Should we? If I start reading it now, you're probably going to hang up the Zoom call on me. <laughs> Investigated and negotiated and settled homeowners' property claims, provided substantial c- customer support demonstrated active listening skills. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, the other one's interesting. Very boring. Yes. This yes. one, this other one's interesting. And so if you can say one interesting thing and hmm. get your reader's attention, then they're going to want to read more interesting things. Um, if you're worried about keywords, I would say on the one hand, if you're writing good stories, some of your keywords are going to come up naturally in the story itself, right? Like the word claim here, which is a mm. keyword for her, mm-hmm. discovery process, right? Mm. Negotiation might be a keyword for her, et cetera. It came, it, we didn't even have to think about it. But mm. if you're really worried at the bottom of your resume, why don't you just put some, put some keywords in, 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 you know, down at the bottom or something, if you're worried about it. Got it. Let's read through this story. It's a simple one bullet point story. Some of my stories have multiple bullet points. This one says, took on three water damage claims at a hotel with an upset owner. Okay. Reanalyzed my colleague's prior work and assumptions on those claims. To owner's dismay, right, I declined his $30,000 concession fee claim. So she said no, but managed to offset that and create goodwill by consolidating his three water claims into one. So presumably, even if we don't work in insurance, we can understand that the owner Mm. was unhappy about something. She had to give him some bad news about something, but she found a way, she looked for a way to make him happy Mm -hmm. by sort of negotiating three claims into one. Mm. Isn't that story better than just saying um, resolve resolve claims from clients. Yeah, This shows her taking uh, a personal interest in the owner, looking for a way to make the company happy and make the owner happy, um, and kind of maybe even being smarter than her colleague because she says, I reanalyzed my colleague's prior work. And Mm -hmm. it seems like the colleague maybe made a mistake Mm -hmm. in not seeing that he could consolidate three water claims in one. So very subtly, she's saying, I'm the smartest claim adjuster in the, <laughs> in the team. Um, also, you could have a bullet point just talking about what you love. Here's a great bullet point. It says, I love the analytical side of my work, researching clients, understanding their business models, analyzing financial statements, or working with our CPAs. Big picture thinking. Mindful of how a small claim payout today can prevent a larger payout in the future. Hmm. So this, as the line manager shows me that, first of all, this person, you know, is talking about what she likes about her job, which indicates to me that she's happy in her work and probably nice to be around, right? And second of all, she's not somebody who just, um, she's somebody who does see the big picture and understands that. As an organization, sometimes it is better to pay out money now and have less problems in the future, right mm-hmm. than to kind of uh, try to wiggle out of every claim payout and then something really bad happens that you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. So you know so basically we can you can make-
0: talk about the culture that you want to work supposing, like uh, there are people who say that uh, for me, work-life balance is important, or a culture of the company is important. And via this resume, though you can actually portray on on what you valued the most in terms of what you li- loved working at. Even if it, if you're leaving that company, or you're looking for a change, but you still
1: valued certain things of that, and you highlight those. Right, and you and in talking about the sort of things that. Um that you value then maybe there's a connection with the person reading your resume Mm -hmm. or maybe in the initiatives that you decided to pursue the person might infer that you know this person values people or this person values um, a cohesive team or this person values um you know again putting the the goals of the group ahead of her own like personal work Mm -hmm. here we have um here we have the person um, when she was doing uh, managing interns, Mm -hmm. she saw that there was addressed high millennial attrition. She saw that a lot of young people were starting an internship but not really um, sticking with the company, yeah. And and she did that by introducing new modules that presumably the interns liked better. So negotiation training and one-on-one advice from leadership. So she kind of started her own little program, right? Right. But another way to write that bullet point would have been just to say, like, um, created new modules for interns. It wouldn't be clear to the person reading the resume that that was her initiative. You could think that maybe her boss told her, hey, go and create some new modules. So that's not as much of a value add but here you, sh- you see her taking initiative, which is a high value add. Um, right. So you need to be really explicit about that in your, uh, in your stories. That's beautiful.
0: I mean, I, okay. I love the way you work with words. <laughs> if there
1: is a way to learn that. Well, you want to know what I find is that um, what I'll tell you what my process is for writing these resumes. Mm-hmm. The first step is that I give clients a document with what we call behavioral interview questions. Okay. So the question would be, tell me about a time when you failed. Tell me about a time when you stepped out outside your defined role. Um, tell me about a time when you took an initiative, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So you can look for behavioral interview questions online and answer them. And then take your answer and make it into a bullet point. that's really that's really what these are Um, the when I write the resume, of course, the person is giving the answer on paper and then we kind of talk about it and then I will write the bullet point. But I find that um, another technique that works really well if you're writing your own resume is to maybe have some behavioral questions Mm -hmm. and instead answer them out loud. Okay just by yourself in your bedroom, but have your phone recording you, okay? So record your voice. Then the next day, go back and play the recording, but be sitting at your computer with Word open and type out your answers because Mm -hmm. the natural spoken language is so much nicer to read, so much better than like traditional bullet points that are kind of confusing sometimes. Um, A lot of times, not in this resume, but a lot of times I I even use the subject like I, so it'll Mm -hmm. say um, I am a true team player or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can do that in a resume, you don't have to always write resumes like you see this one um, without subjects in it.
0: Uh, I think there's a lot of misconceptions and when we write resumes and I think You're really right in pointing out those, figuring out those patterns.
1: Uh, I think you've seen a lot of resumes already. Yes. (laughs) Here's this guy. uh, He works at Experian. I thought I'd sent you this resume. Mm -hmm. Um, So he is, okay, let's go down to his. So he's got a, I don't know how to pronounce this, Visvesvar. uh, It's from India, yeah. I'm terrible. Okay, well, that's where he went to college. Then he went to UT Austin and he did um, a master's in data mining and statistics. Mm -hmm. And now he's doing a part time MBA at Kellogg. Wow. Okay. And he's he's an Indian guy. Got it. Okay. So his basically, he starts at a place called. Patney Computers in Mumbai mm-hmm. for a couple of years out of undergrad. Then he comes to the U.S. Cap Gemini, mm-hmm. works at LexisNexis, and now he's at Experian. And these names have all been changed, by the way. Yeah. That's, um, so then the bullet point here is leveraged credit bureau data to build models to predict credit worthiness of a customer for different Fortune 500 companies. That's basically his, his job, right? That's Fortune 500 companies come to Experian for the, his team of data analysts and statisticians to like analyze people's credit data and yeah. try to figure out if we give Leah a credit card, is she going to you know, pay her bill every month or is she going to not yeah. pay her bill, right? Is she risky or not? Yeah. Helped m- multiple banks to reduce the default rate, that's, that, that's the default rate when you don't pay your bill. Mm-hmm. Um, effectively communicated analytical results to clients mm-hmm. and leadership and obtained approvals. I mean, it's identified areas, um, I don't know, lead a team and directly work with a matrix organization. So this guy actually has a team of people that he manages and all he says about it is, lead a team provide coaching and mentoring so again it's just it's just a job description
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and you know if you're looking at this resume and another resume like it mm-hmm. you're everybody's got the same job description all you can look at is like experian and be like oh this guy works at experian this other person mm-hmm. works at acme tool and so i am I'm gonna i'm gonna interview client z mm-hmm. This is a big no no I don't know why there's a people don't have logos so don't put any logo on your resume. Okay. Now here's his new resume. Okay. Here we have a cornerstone story about about his work at Experian it says right away manage team of seven direct reports consulted with clients to better understand the credit worthiness of their customers and adjust their strategies to minimize risk. On average have reduced clients default rate by 8%, saving them millions of dollars. Sometimes this cornerstone story area Mm -hmm. can just be used to yes, have that boring job description that I hate, but that sometimes is useful And can help people compare between roles. Okay, so now we can have nice interesting bullet points here Mm -hmm. for our stories, but we can have a a boring cornerstone story here that's just a just a job description. Look here same type of thing Mm -hmm. manage teams of four on a project basis, you can juxtapose here he's directly managing seven here he's managing a team of four. Um, And then he gives a little bit of a description about those teams, that Mm -hmm. they were dispersed teams across multiple international locations, Mm -hmm. consulted to large insurance companies, blah, blah, blah. So this, again, is just kind of a job description, but it's helpful in in helping me compare his progress from LexisNexis, right, Mm -hmm. Right. to Experian. So that's okay you know, it's, it's not that you can't have a job description. It's just that if you do have it, you should limit it. Okay. Um, Here's a great story about about a simple story about dedication. Assigned to a project with a strict timeline, which had fallen behind schedule, I spent two consecutive weekends in the office, To my delight, I received an unexpected letter of appreciation from the client. Mm. That's nice, right? Yeah, It shows that even though he doesn't probably work in the weekend or in the office every weekend, Mm -hmm. when it was important to the team and to the company, he was willing to do it. That's nice. As a line manager, you want people that you can sort of depend on sometimes to go the extra mile and then there's a nice letter he got from the client so even though there's no more detail than that i would be interested to hear that story in interview what was the what, what did the letter say right that could be a question another thing about uh, story based bullet points is that they set up the interview they give the interviewer little questions that they can ask for more details about right so it's easier to predict sometimes what's going to happen in the interview mm-hmm. if you have a story-based resume yeah. and, and bullet points. Um, I've never there's
0: seen a, a point like that in any resume. Like I've hired, I think I've gone through interview resumes like 40 of them to hire one front-end engineer. Yeah. This is my second year. And I was like, I've never seen a point like this.
1: If people come up front with stories like this, wow. There's a really great story that my, this is one of my favorite stories from this resume. It's from when he worked at Cap Gemini, mm-hmm. which I guess bought Patney computers. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: here it is. My team, oh, what happened? Okay, this is a two part bullet point. Do you see how the second part is indented underneath a little bit? I often do this. Um, sometimes I'll have a main bullet point, and then even two or three indented bullet points, usually not more than three, that's, that's probably the limit. Okay, let's read this one, it's really cool. The first bullet point says, my team in India kept wondering about the lippjusto, which is a Swedish word for squeaky cheese. Does it squeak like a mouse or a door? We joked, cultural differences aside, Leading a market basket analysis for over 4,000 food SKUs in Finland's largest supermarket was fascinating. The second bullet point says, developed complex statistical analysis of millions of purchases to identify items purchased together. Milk and bread, of course. But beer and ice cream? A surprise. Client leveraged insights to rearrange the floor plan inside the supermarket and maximize time customers spent in the store. So thereby presumably maximizing profits, right? Because the longer you are in a supermarket, the more the more you buy usually, right? Yes. Wow. So, so this is a nice story. You can see that it includes a quote. We put something that was said in direct quotations. You can do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And we kind of um, I mean, it was a really fun project that he got to work on, but he says things like it was fascinating, hmm. again, showing me that he, he likes his work um, yeah. and then also still having something about how he added value to the client. Right. Yeah. Notice that this doesn't contain any numbers. <laughs> right. Yeah, the way he added value was simply giving the client the opportunity to rearrange the floor plan. And Mm. that's good enough. That's okay. The way that you um, talk about an achievement doesn't always have to be a quantitative achievement where you say, like, um, increased revenue by 10 percent, reduced time by, you know, one hour a day or whatever. That's what you're taught. Absolutely. Oftentimes, if if you're thinking in terms of um, highlighting an achievement through a, a quantity, in only a quantitative way, then you're going to limit yourself. You're you're only going to think in terms of the achievements that you can quantify, right? Mm. But you're not going to be thinking about the achievements like um, listening to an intern who was struggling. Mm-hmm. That is something valuable, and I consider that an achievement. You know, t- taking taking time out of your day to advise um, a colleague who needed help, I consider that a greater human achievement than saving a company a million dollars. Absolutely i think
0: it's very contrary to the advice that you that we often get because every single company out there is resume worded there is there are like so many companies right. trying to fix your resume resumes right. they keep saying write the numbers you know 85% 70 clients
1: <laughs> well i and sometimes i do those things when it's applicable so for example here's a here's a here's a giant bullet point i guess Mm -hmm. Look at it. It's one main bullet point and then three sub-bullet points, okay? Mm -hmm. In the last one, it talks about, I think I removed the the amount here, I just put an X, but Mm -hmm. presented initiative to CIO and senior VPs. A huge success. LexisNexis later created a standalone product from our work. And here, X million, this anum means per year. Mm-hmm. X million per year in revenue. It means that that product is currently bringing maybe it's 1 million per year or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well. Here he built a point of sales model with 70% accuracy, which convinced the team to um, to go with his idea. He mm-hmm. here's a this is a great one. This is a story about persuasion actually. He's persuading his colleagues. Mm -hmm. Senior colleagues were hesitant to okay a text mining tool, to move forward with a text mining tool, Mm -hmm. for no other good reason than perhaps the fact that they had never done it before. So they were scared of something new. Mm -hmm. Persuasion is a powerful tool, tool, but sometimes the proof is in the pudding. Oh, he built a, a POC model with 70% accuracy, which convinced them. So that's how he convinced his colleagues to overcome their fear hmm. and to move forward with the text mining tool.
0: And later I think it was used further also, wow.
1: Yeah, and then later it was used, I, d- I don't remember this whole bullet point off the top of my head, um, mm-hmm. but we could make some of these, some resumes available to your uh, listeners if you want. Sure, we definitely. You can put a link or something like that and they can, um, have a look at some of these examples, you know, in a PDF.
0: Definitely. Just one, one more. Uh, like, so when people try to migrate from India to uh, a foreign country, what happens mm-hmm. very often is uh, foreign countries have, uh, they don't have humans looking at uh, resumes anymore. They have to pass through an automated ATS apparently. That's what I, I think I've heard this a lot your resumes should filter, should go through that automated, I think it's ATS stands for application tracking system.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. no, I know what an ATS is. Are you talking about the, in the immigration process when, when you submit your yeah. application? When oh. you're going for a job,
0: when you're just submitting your resumes for a job in your own domain, uh, your resume might not fit that particular country's uh, ATS. So, you have to change your resume in a way that it actually fits, I mean, clears all of
1: those filters. Mm. Well, I think the ATS, the applicant tracking systems, are looking for keywords, right? Okay. I mean, it it may be those, the system may be filtering to see if there's certain keywords to pull up a resume resume for the HR person to look at, because maybe for one job, they get a thousand resumes. Mm -hmm. They can't even look at a thousand resumes. So they're going to look at 100 resumes quickly. Mm -hmm. They're going to choose 10 Mm -hmm. and they're going to hire one. Right. So, I mean, with the ATS, one um, thing I would say is that you should be doing your document in Word. Mm -hmm. And I use the table function in Word to set up to set up the entries Mm -hmm. and we can provide your listeners with a resume template that they can use if they want. But if you're, I mean, honestly, my approach is as follows. I would do the story-based resume. Mm -hmm. Naturally, you're going to get different keywords coming in. Like here's statistics, Mm -hmm. here's novel machine learning model. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are words that here's data, Hmm. You know what I mean? Like they naturally come in when you naturally tell your stories. But if you're worried down at the bottom, Hmm. you can put in some section with keywords. I wouldn't put it at the top. I would just put it at the bottom. Then the computer brings up your resume. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But you know, I mean, honestly, the thing is that we all know um, uh, 10 or 12 years ago, you Mm -hmm. could build a website and you could optimize it for search by putting a lot of keywords at the bottom, right? Yeah. yeah. But now Google is using more machine learning and different techniques for parsing, analyzing natural language, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So now you can't optimize your website by just putting a bunch of keywords at the bottom. You have to write interesting articles like you will find at Resume Story Builders. So come over and read my articles. but. Um, And the same thing goes for a resume. I mean, I Mm. don't know the algorithm that drives applicant tracking systems, but doesn't it make more sense that the algorithm would be more amenable to a word Mm. set in context? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like set within a natural language context rather than just a bunch of keywords at the bottom. It must be able to identify that pretty easily. Or they'll develop it to to that extent. Mm. but but to your question of like getting a job overseas i would say the following like i mentioned earlier my first degree was in psychology and one of my biggest interests and still my interest today is in social psychology mm-hmm. and um, i would really recommend to all of your readers a book by um, fisk F-I-S-K-E and Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, mm-hmm. called, um, I believe it's Social Cognition, because it has a very interesting book and could could even help you with your story-based resume, because there's lots of interesting stories in there. Mm-hmm. But when you are coming to a new country, mm-hmm. people discount your experience. Mm-hmm. And I can say that because I'm actually American and I went to school, I went to high school in Europe and I went to college there. And then I came back to the US, right? And I remember there was one woman at a startup in New York and this was after I finished my MBA. And she said, she was interviewing me, she was an HR lady and she said to me, um, did you go to MIT Sloan so you could get a brand on your resume? And I didn't, I was really surprised because some of the things I had done previously were really big achievements in my mind. Like I had gone to a good university in Europe Mm -hmm. and I'd had a good job, but for her, none of that was good. It was only good the things you did in the US. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And people will do the same thing. This candidate here, this resume here that we still have on the screen, I think. Yes. See where did where did he go to undergrad? India, Karnataka. What's the what's the university here? Vishweshwara Technology. Okay, you have to pronounce it cuz I can't pronounce it. Okay. Which is a good university, a good it's not IIT but a good engineering degree, right? Yeah. And he passed with distinction. Yeah. But you know what? Probably in the US they were like, oh, hmm. they don't even know what that is. So he kind of had to reestablish himself in the U.S. a little bit.
0: Mm.
1: Go to University Texas Austin. I think that when people are from a different culture, mm-hmm. the you tend to kind of lump them together in your mind. You say, "All Leah must like hamburgers because she's American," you know, or she prop, you know, whatever, whatever. And yeah. we all kind of uh, do that. Mm. So when you're trying to come to a new country, the thing you want to do the most is make yourself not just a stereotype, but Mm -hmm. a person in the mind of the person reading your resume. Right. So, for example, um, and even so, that's why I think, I mean, obviously, story based resumes is a great way to go. I'm gonna stop sharing the resume. It's a great way to go in terms of giving people insight into how you think, Mm -hmm. how you act, um, how you interact with people, how you take initiative in your job, right? It makes you a person, it makes you stand out. The other thing I would say too is that, so on a cultural level, not Mm -hmm. making myself just look like, oh, she's she's Indian from India.
0: Mm.
1: No, on a second level, you have to think about the job you have and the stereotypes people have around that job. Mm -hmm. So for example, this person we were just looking at, client Mm -hmm. Z, the guy that works at Experian and has a degree in, you know, uh, statistics and IT. Mm -hmm. What are my preconceptions about that person? Bad Mm -hmm. social skills. (laughs) Nerd. Likes to play video games. (laughs) Lots of pizza boxes, like stacked up in the corner of his bedroom, probably, right? Like just hangs out, mm, not a great communicator, Mm -hmm. you know, needs to be, those are, that may not be true, but that's what I might be thinking. So you should think about what are the stereotypes people will have about me, whether it's because I'm from a certain cultural background, a -hmm. certain religious background. I'm a certain gender, I'm female, mm. I'm IT or whatever. Mm. and then try to tell stories that are the opposite of those things. Right. If you're a marketing professional, you you don't need as many stories about being a great communicator. Maybe you need mm. stories about analyzing data. Mm. But if you're an IT person, maybe you need a few more stories about being a great communicator, being sociable, that sort of thing.. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the stories you tell should be a function of, um, on the one hand, highlighting highlighting the things that you want to talk about, but mm-hmm. also thinking a little bit strategically. What are this person's prejudices going to be, mm-hmm. and how can I counter them? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's that's very nice. So, before I move to the final question, I would like to know your thoughts on you know, this one commonly thrown around thought or fact that we VCs, you know, investors, uh, they hesitate in funding businesses that have women founders. Um, is it a myth
1: or is it a reality? What are your thoughts? My uh, past history is that I did do an MBA at MIT mm-hmm. Sloan. And during that time, I was kind of involved in the startup scene there. And I think, I mean, I can't really. I didn't have enough interaction with venture capitalists and, and those sorts mm-hmm. of people to say whether they hesitate or not to invest in female companies. Mm-hmm. I do, I did have a client who's a very well known entrepreneur in India and a, a woman. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about this subject, and she was um, talking about the fact that when she got investment from, Mm -hmm. places in India and London, you know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, well, um, are you going to be able to handle it, you know, with the kids and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So there's a, there's, there's always a double standard for women. Mm. And I think one of the problems uh, is that on the surface, we live in a, we live in a society increasingly, Mm -hmm. probably in the last 20 years, where Mm -hmm. there's a narrative of egality, of equality, right? Like we we tell girls, you can do anything, education is the path forward, blah, 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 right? (laughs) And so then we're in this mindset that the problems of being a woman and there being double standards or not being treated equally are something in the past. Mm. And when we come up against those issues in real life, we might question in our mind, is he really treating me like this because I'm a woman? Or is it, do you know what I mean? Like, is it because I'm not as good at uh, speaking in public? I'm not as good. So in a way, this narrative of Hmm. equality now puts us in a mindset where we don't even, we don't question things on that level. And that can be Hmm. problematic. I don't know if that answers the question either. I think think we've gone over time, but I would just
0: like to ask one question. (laughs) Uh, if if you were to give any advice to anybody who wants to start out uh, as a as a business owner or a found like you know founder for for any company, what would be your two cents?
1: This this might be my fifteen my Andy Warhol says we all have fifteen minutes of fame so this might be my fifteen seconds of fame. Um, what I have found in life is really good advice. Mm-hmm. Is that you don't need permission. Mm. Nobody else's opinion matters but yours. And nobody else can have um, the experience of your personal intuition. That's to say that Leah's intuition, the way I feel about something in my gut Mm -hmm. is inside of me Mm -hmm. and yours is inside of you Mm -hmm. and you should listen to that Mm -hmm. so you don't need an a degree to validate you and say now you can be an entrepreneur you don't need your parents to validate you or your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend to validate you or anybody Mm -hmm. The people that do interesting things in this world, I think, look inside themselves for validation. And if you are going to be an entrepreneur, you must do that. And I would say it's the one thing that really separates entrepreneurs from other people. Because um, when you're in a corporate environment, you have a team around you and you're all kind of validating each other great Mm -hmm. job we did right (laughs) when you're an entrepreneur you're very much on your own Mm -hmm. and you need to have the strength inside of you to go through difficult times difficult times can be when the business or something doesn't seem to be working right and Mm -hmm. you have to find a solution Mm -hmm. difficult times can also be like financially difficult times right Mm -hmm. when you don't I mean, when you don't have money, Yeah, I remember one time I had no money. (laughs) I mean, there's been many times when I've had literally like no money. One time I had no money and I needed gas to go to my dad's house and to eat all of his food. So I literally found a 20 euro bill that I forgot about from several years ago. And I had to like, drive to this place and get the 20 euro bill changed into like 23 (laughs) dollars and go put like 17 dollars in my gas tank so i could like go to my dad's house and eat all of his food because i didn't have any food really either Mm -hmm. so but you know and well-meaning people are going to say to you things like um you know, why don't you just, why don't you just get a job, you know, or you're, you're never going to be able to, you know, retire or do this thing, or you're missing out on this or that. So, and those things may be true, but, um, mm-hmm. but if you feel inside yourself that you're not going to be happy doing those things that the people, you know, people are suggesting you do, mm-hmm. then, um, then you really have to listen to your to your gut, you have to follow your, your idea about things. Mm -hmm. Um, Just one other really quick piece of advice on that, and I I won't keep you guys any longer, is that in general, we live in a world that's very like, likes to look at like empirical evidence, and Mm -hmm. be like, you know, we, we live in a very rational and analytical world, right? But we don't, I think we don't talk enough about intuition. Mm -hmm. And in your professional life but also in your personal life when you sense that something isn't right Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like you get that gut instinct about or maybe somebody you feel like a little bit sketchy about Mm -hmm. listen to your gut if you know if it's a person then get away from that person Mm -hmm. or if it's a situation then get away from that situation or whatever but always listen to your intuition inside of yourself and that is what is going to guide you in entrepreneurship and more generally in life and in relationships
0: wow okay thank you for sharing that thank you so much and thank you for your time wishing you yes all the best.
1: you too oh, this was of- it was fun speaking with you and um hopefully yeah, same yeah <laughs> loved your insights i'm
0: sure it's gonna be super helpful to a lot of people out there and
1: we'll stay in touch yes thank you that's it for today
0: hope you liked it if you enjoyed this episode do share it with your friends and don't forget to hit follow on spotify and subscribe to our youtube channel Stay tuned for more episodes and stay safe.